Well, I would invite you to go ahead and turn to God's Word. If you brought a copy of it, we will be continuing through Luke chapter 2. You can also look on page 8 of the bulletin, and the sermon text is printed there. I want to thank again Dr. Paul Copan and Pastor Ronnie Perry for leading us so far through the Advent season. Both men were in this pulpit previous to me and began our journey through Luke 2, and so it's a journey that I am excited to continue. I get the baton now passed to me for this leg of the journey, and we will be looking at, again, Luke 2, verses 15 through 21. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. It says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. If you've been down to my office uh, here on the first floor of the sanctuary building, then you might know by now that one of my favorite artists is an artist based in California who goes by the name S. Preston. He's a Canadian-born artist who now lives in California. He goes by the name S. Preston, and he has made his name by doing minimalist sports art. Minimalist sports art. So he originally started with uh, these renditions of stadiums, you know, the, all the famous ballparks, uh, particularly baseball uh, ballparks, but he's now uh, morphed and grown into other sports football stadiums. But he's taken all of these iconic stadiums and he cuts through the noise, if you will. He cuts through the corporate logos that are, you know, emblazoned everywhere and the, the blinking lights and all of the different things that can, you know, distract you or, or, or divert your attention in a ballpark. He cuts through all of the noise and he finds that one iconic, uh, you know, variable of that stadium, of each stadium. The, the one thing that if you saw it, you would recognize it as being uh, inherently belonging to that particular stadium. And he will paint it. And it's this beautiful, usually colorful uh, rendition. And again, now he's morphed and grown into painting uh, mascots and other things that revolve around the sports world. If you come to my office, I have a couple baseball-specific ones. But one of the things that's beautiful about his work, and that's beautiful, again, about minimalist art in general, is that it does what I just described. It boils something down to its most fundamental essence, it, it, it cuts away the clutter, it cuts away the other things that can detract the eye, and it boils something down to its most fundamental essence. And it's in that fundamentality, or it's in that, that basic simplicity, that one then sees the beauty 
of that work, sees the beauty of that artist particularly. Well, we can do something similar as we come to the text here in Luke this morning. It is a familiar text. It's one that is draped with all the trappings of the season. But if we look at it carefully, we can see the beautiful and profound simplicity of this text here in Luke 2. And we see in this first Christmas what all other Christmases then are supposed to be about. We see in this first Christmas, again, the season that bears the name of Christ. We see in the first Christmas what we as Christians, those who bear that same name, what we're supposed to be about at every Christmas and all throughout the rest of the calendar. So we can boil it down to its fundamental essence, its beautiful simplicity. And in doing so, we see this. Again, in the first Christmas, we as Christians see how we are to walk, how we are to witness, and how we are to worship. As Christians, in in Christmas of 2020, and every Christmas, by God's grace, to follow, we are to see again how we are to walk, how we are to witness, and how we are to worship. So let's first look at the walking. Notice in verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to each other, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Don't miss that phrase, when the angels went away from them. Remember, these are shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks by night. This was, as Ronnie reminded us last week, a dangerous and unglamorous blue-collar job. And so in the midst of doing just that, in, in watching over their flocks by night, in the midst of that mundane routine, if you will, the shepherds saw a miracle. They saw a miracle. They're visited by an angel, as we know, and the glory of the Lord, it shines all around them, and in the midst of that beauty, and in the midst of that glory, they have the good news proclaimed to them. They have the good news announced to them. Go back, if you do have a Bible, uh, and look at verse 10. I didn't read it earlier, but go back and look at verse 10 of Luke 2. It says this, and the angel said to them, so here's the preaching, if you will, the proclaiming, the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. These shepherds, these outcasts, these marginalized in the society of their day, they have their world turned upside down. Upside down. By the announcement of that good news, the intervening grace of God breaks into, again, the routines of their life. The intervening grace of God breaks into the mundane realities of their lives. And again, it heralds, it proclaims, it shouts, it announces the good news right in the midst of their routine. And it sweeps them up into the plan of God. It sweeps them up into the grandeur of God's arrival into 
humanity. And so if you think about it, the shepherd's experience there is similar to what went before them uh, in the Old Testament with Abraham, right? Remember Abraham? Minding his own business, if you will, in a way. Going about his daily life until God, boom, shows up, calls him, chooses him, and propels him then into the journey of faith. It's similar to what will come after the shepherds. Remember in the Apostle Paul, his testimony. He was formerly Saul, persecuting the church of God, until in the midst of that very activity, in the midst of his routine, which wasn't mundane, but it was a routine nonetheless, of persecuting Christians, in the middle of that routine, the grace of God shines all around him, and it sweeps him up into the salvation plan of God, perhaps it's similar to even your own testimony. You were living your life. You were searching for God in a thousand different places. You were searching for the meaning and the purpose and the satisfaction that only the gospel can bring until God showed up and he revealed himself to you. He revealed his grace to you and you were saved. You were swept up into the salvation plan of God. Maybe perhaps you didn't have the glory of the Lord you know, shine down. It's maybe reserved only here for the shepherds. But it was a similar conversion experience. And again, it reminds us here with the shepherds of how God loves to use the foolish things in the world. No offense, that's what you and I are as Christians. He loves to use the foolish things of the world, the Bible tells us, to shame the wise. He loves to reveal his glory to the outcast and the overlooked. That's who the shepherds were, as again, Ronnie reminded us last week. But it also foreshadows who will Christ reveal, this Christ child who will grow up and be the atoning Messiah who dies on the cross, who will this Christ first reveal his resurrection glory to? To Mary, right? To a woman at the tomb who again in the society of that day would have been thought of as a second-class citizen. A woman didn't have the rights they have today, the God-given rights they deserve, but women back then were a second-class citizen, and yet Christ reveals his resurrection glory, again, to an outcast, to the marginalized in the society of his day. And so here, this happens to the shepherds. They have the privilege of having the good news announced to them. They're swept up into the faithful uh, looking, seeking of the Messiah. But then what happens? The angel it says, departed from them. Look again at verse 12, or sorry, verse 15. When the angel went away from them into heaven. You see, it's one thing to believe when there's an angel in your midst, right? But it's one thing to believe when the glory of the Lord is shining around you. But it's a whole other thing to believe when the angel departs. When the glory light flickers off. In other words, there's verse 10, which we saw and read, the preaching of the angel. But then there's also verse 15, when the angel departs. And isn't that sort of true for you and I at times? Isn't that our experience as well? That we as believers start with that spiritual high. We hear the gospel. We're excited. We believe 
the, the, the grass, you know, in our world looks greener, food tastes better. You know, there seems to be a glow around everything. We come to know Christ Jesus. We have our verse 10 moment, but then, just like the shepherds, verse 15 comes our way, right? And the angels, or the angel departs and goes back to heaven. Again, the glory light dims, the stars go back to normal, and all is quiet. And life comes back, and the routines come back, and the mundane comes back, and the temptations and the struggle and the difficulty comes back, and then we're just left with the walking. The walking. That walking of faith, that trusting, that experience where, again, the angels departed, and so seeing isn't believing, but in faith, what? Believing is seeing, right? We begin to walk with the eyes of faith. And I bring this up because doesn't 2020, hasn't 2020 kind of felt like that year for many of us, right? The angel has departed, it feels like. Where did the angel go? Where did God go? Again, we had our verse 10 moment, but now we have the verse 15 moment of 2020 where the angels departed and there's pandemics and there's anxieties and there's cares. The glory light has dimmed, and where are we left? Well, the answer is that we're left in the same position the shepherds were. The same position the shepherds were. Hearing the word of God, knowing the announcement of his gospel, but now continuing to walk by faith after his promise. Continuing to walk in order to see the goodness of of God. And so I bring this up because the shepherds, if you allow them to be this for you, if you see it here, the shepherds are the first to embark on the Christian journey of faith. They're the first to embark on this, this walking after Jesus, this walking after, again, with the eyes of faith, of trusting what they know they've heard from God. Even when before them all appears dark. Even when before them, all appears to be in the shadows again, and the light has dimmed. They continue to walk. They, they continue to trust God even when they can't trace him. They follow him into the dark. They follow him into the void. And so this is, again, this is a great, great reminder for us that the Christian walk, it's simple trusting. It's simple trusting. It's putting one foot in front of the other, Every single day, even if it's two steps forward in faith, but one step back. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of our darkness. Don't you think the shepherds, maybe for a moment, had their doubt? When they were walking from where the angel arrived and the glory shone to then Bethlehem? Perhaps they had just an inkling of doubt when it was dark and they could no longer see Of course they did, and yet they keep walking. So look again now, look at verse 16, and we see they're walking. It says they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Notice how in their walking, in their one foot in front of the other walking, they're eventually led to the place that God promised. 
And we actually then see them model a component of what walking after Jesus includes, and it includes witnessing. Witnessing. It includes the notion of a Christian witness. And I say that because, you know, many of us think that being a Christian witness is only reserved for those who have the, the platform. Those who have the pedigree, the prestige, those who are on TV, those who speak in stadiums, those who write books, those who are professional Christians, evangelists, whomever, right? That they only are the real Christian witnesses. Or some of us think that you know, a Christian witness is only that person who is perfectly moral all the time. Never makes a mistake, never has a bad day, never struggles, never sins, only listens to Christian music and watches Christian movies. That that is a Christian witness. But in reality, a Christian witness is what we see the shepherds doing right here. It's primarily sharing what was first shared with them. It's sharing, simply telling what they saw and heard. There's a great phrase that says, to be a Christian witness, we are a beggar of God's grace and we're simply showing other beggars where to find bread. That's a Christian witness. That's a Christian witness. Look again at verse 17. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What was the result of that telling? If you notice, it says those who heard it were full of wonder. Full of wonder. Mary ponders it in her heart. No doubt for her, she was thinking of her own angelic visit. Now she's trying to square these messages together and she's you know, swept up in amazement and, and contemplation and mystery and awe. So you have this pretty remarkable scenario, really, if you think about it, where the shepherds are proclaiming the good news to the very one who will bear the incarnation of that good news. It's amazing, isn't it? That's what's happening here. But again, the point is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus, to be a herald or evangelist for the Lord Jesus, you don't need a platform. You don't need pedigree or a platform. You don't need to be Billy Graham, though praise God for him, right, and his ministry. You don't have to be a perfect moral, you don't have to be Mother Teresa, though praise God for her. To be a Christian witness, we simply have to tell what we've heard, to share what we've seen and heard, the grace and the mystery that we ourselves have experienced, and to share it with anyone who will listen leaving the rest up to God. Remember what Paul will tell us later in the New Testament? Paul basically, he kind of takes the bite, if you will, um, out of evangelism for you, for me. Because Paul says, let me, let, me, let me spoil it for you. The gospel is basically three things. To some, it's foolishness. To some, it's a stumbling block. But to others, what is it? The power of God the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so you see Paul right there takes the bite out of evangelism. Those are the three reactions we're going to get. Some will think it's foolishness and think you're, you know, you got, you got two heads and you flew here in a UFO and landed in a saucer, right? Some will think it's a stumbling block. They find it offensive. But to some, to those that God has 
chosen, to those that God has deemed by his grace because of nothing else. To some, it's the power of God. And of course, to those whom the shepherds proclaim that night, it's the power of God. They are, they are, it says, the text says, they are full of wonder. And again, just let that be an encouragement to you, that the, that the shepherds, you know, between the, between the angelic visit and the, the conversion, if you will, they're trusting. And then the, the visit in Bethlehem, when they are now seen as heralds themselves. Notice that? They had the good news heralded to them by the angel, and now they are heralds themselves at the manger. In between those two things, they didn't go out and obtain a theology degree. They didn't go on their way, you know, and get a, a certificate from an evangelism course. Those are both good things, right? But they showed up as shepherds still, and they proclaimed the good news. They, 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 they told what they themselves had experienced. They come to the feet of Mary herself and see manifested the promise of God. They see manifested the goodness of God. So you see here the first Christmas, the shepherds are the first to walk the Christian walk. They're the first to be Christian witnesses to anyone around them, to those around them. But then lastly, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. In a word, what did the shepherds do there? They worshiped. They worshiped. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They worshiped. And again, notice how the experience of the shepherds, notice how the posture of the shepherds, it has a way of shaking the dust off of the things that sometimes bog us down in our own thinking. It has, it has a way of informing us as to what our posture should be. Notice how in that short phrase, they glorified and praised God for all they had seen and heard. It, it kind of puts to rest a lot of the arguments that swirl around today regarding worship. A lot of the, the arguments that rage in churches regarding worship kind of seem invalid here with the posture of the shepherds. Did the shepherds glorify and praise God for all they had seen and heard in a traditional worship service? Did they go and construct a pipe organ real quick and they took a time machine to the 1600s and grabbed some hymnals and they came back and then they worshiped the glorified God and praised him for what they had seen and heard? No, right? Did the shepherds throw together a contemporary service real quick? They threw on some jeans, the pastor sat on a stool, they fired up the PowerPoint. And then they worship the glorified God? No, right? No. You may think I'm being ridiculous or, or being silly, but do you see the point? Do you see the point when it comes to worship? That the response we're called to in the presence of the living God, it predates. It goes well beyond all of these categories and these limitations we try to fit worship into It goes well beyond our modern conventions and concerns, and it's grounded, it's rooted in something much more important, much more fundamental, which is the response of the heart. The response of the heart, that when you are in the presence of Christ, 
that we are in the presence of the living God, you can only help but go out glorifying and praising God for all you've seen and heard, for all that he's done for us, that it's a response of the heart, that worship isn't a musical style. It's not connected to a building or an institution. It's not bound to one cultural or demographical or historical context. It's simply glorifying God for all he's done for us, for all we've seen and heard. That's worship. It's a response of the heart. And you see, just like the three magi who traveled to see the Christ child, again, think about the spectrum there, right? You had the shepherds who come, and they kind of represent the, 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 the bottom rung of society. And then you have the magi who also came, and they represent kind of the upper crust of society. But if you notice, they both come in either instance, and they worship from the heart. They bring their gifts before the Lord Jesus. They bring their praise and honor. They bring a sacrifice of praise. And again, worship is big enough to encompass it all. To encompass, again, you know, one demographic, this demographic. One style, this style. It's not a matter about those things. Those are all conventions. Those are all limitations we put upon worship. Worship is a response of the heart. It's a glorifying and praising God Again, for all that we have seen, for all that we have heard, for all that God has done. And so I think for us even here at Lake Osborne, my prayer here at Christmas is that we would keep the main thing the main thing. Our definition of Christian walking, right? Our definition of Christian witnessing even our definition of Christian worship, that we wouldn't detour into secondary concerns and matters, but that we would reflect, again, on all that we have seen and heard. That's my prayer. That, again, we would be a people, that we would be a church that embodies the spirit of that first Christmas. That we would walk by faith, not by sight. That we would be unashamed witnesses of the Lord Jesus, wherever he's placed you. And that we would worship in spirit and truth, glorifying and praising God for all that we've seen and heard. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the way that it pierces into the darkness of our lives. We're thankful for the way in which it, it shakes us up. It rattles the dust off of maybe the over-familiarity of Christmas. It also brushes the, the dust off the, the trappings of Christmas that we sometimes get diverted into. And it again reminds us of the beauty of Christmas, the simplicity of Christmas, the scandal, really, of Christmas. God become man. That man might become like God. God, come to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. So, Lord, once again, we praise you and thank you. And we ask, Lord, that it would be your word which ultimately propels our walking, that it propels our witness, that it propels our worship, and that we would indeed not just be hearers of your word, but also doers. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you. In the name of Christ, that word who became flesh, we pray. Amen.